What's up? I'm Janelle. I'm Vicky. You know what? We're here to tell you some stories, guys. And if you made it this far, you made it through Thanksgiving. Yes. Congrats. Into the holiday season. Well, Shall well, I start singing? Farther. Christmas time is here. Right? Yeah? Yeah? No? Okay, cool. Right. <laughs> um, I just stared her down. No, I know you can't see what no I was No happiness doing. and cheer? No, I mean, I like No Christmas fun for time. all the children call their favorite time of year, Vicky? God! I can't take you. Yeah. How much longer of this do I have? Ten years. This, oh, God! <laughs> no. Until I say we're done! Yeah. Oh, God! Yes. I scared myself. <laughs> well, we are back again with another episode. Welcome yeah. back. This is your first time listening. A special hello to you. Right? I haven't said that in a while. Yeah. I know. That should be a, a, your slogan. A special hello to you. A special hello to you. Put it on a t-shirt. It'll sound. <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> so let's start off with Crown News Nightly. Yes. So recently in the news, um, this actually would have happened a couple of weeks ago, but... Um, if any of you have been following the Bo Bergdahl case, are you, you're familiar with yes. that case, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they actually did Serial Season 2 on this case, and I would highly suggest that you go and check that out because it does kind of give you some insights into it that I feel like I probably wouldn't have had otherwise. But if you don't know, um, Army Sergeant Bo Bergdahl, he walked off his post in Afghanistan in 2009, and he was only gone for maybe uh, 20 minutes before he was captured by uh, boogie monster whatever they call rebel insurgents I don't it it was whatever terrorist group was active at that time so there's this whole thing where he voluntarily abandoned his post and he was actually POW for like five years Mm -hmm. um, before they were the US was able to get him back and he has been uh, standing trial for some of these crimes of course in military court which is a different thing Um, my eyes the hardest yeah So they did um, sentence him. He was sentenced to dishonorable discharge and a reduction in rank, but he is going to... Because, like, that matters after you've been discharged. Well, I think it's like a... A slap honor in the face. thing yeah. for people who are in the military. Because he you're really rank. gave a shit about honor. <laughs> well... <laughs> Just fucking out. I mean... Kind of. I feel like it's so much more complicated I than that. I have such an issue know? with this because it's like... Afghanistan, that whole thing, why were we there? It's so fucking wrong. It should be an issue of, like, was he okay mentally? Yeah. Not, yeah. he just deserted. It's so much deeper, and it's so much more fucked up than any yeah. of us can comprehend it's unless It's a pretty complicated, <laughs> yeah. and, like, just this case specifically, like him walking off, it had a lot to do with some abuses that were happening in the military that he was hoping to bring light to by doing... So, I mean, like, the whole situation in general is a little complicated. I... I'm not going to state my opinion one way or yeah, the other. I have I'm not trying to get that. I'm not trying to get that hate mail. <laughs> this isn't our political podcast. Yes, coming um, 2018. <laughs> so I would, like I said, I would suggest listening to Serial season two because it does give you some insights. I think that you probably wouldn't have otherwise. But the judge, Colonel Jeffrey Nance, um, reduced Bergdahl's rank to private and said that he had to forfeit pay equal to a thousand dollars a month for ten months, um, and that was. Kind of it. I heard also that I think um, Bergdahl is appealing the decision to be dishonorably discharged, like that specifically. Although I find it interesting that he's going to appeal that because the uh, maximum possible sentence was life imprisonment. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, you got off pretty easy. Do you know of anyone who's actually had life imprisonment for... The crimes that they've committed in the military. Oh, I don't know. He also pled guilty, too, is the other thing. So, And I think they did that in hopes I of mean, leniency, but... Yeah. Maybe during the Revolutionary War, but... <laughs> yeah. I can't think of anyone who's had life imprisonment because of some crime that they've committed during their time serving. Yeah. 
I don't know. I feel it's just like there as like a, ooh, don't do it. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, let's move on. That's that. Yeah, that's that. <laughs> Before um, I get too impassioned and start We'll speech. move on to <laughs> Netflix and Q. Um, so there's just one thing that I don't think that we've mentioned up until this point, but I think you guys should definitely check out. It's, um, Time, the Khalif Browder story. If you don't know who Khalif Browder is, he was a a 16-year-old in the Bronx who was arrested for stealing a backpack and spent three years at Rikers Island, which Rikers is like one of the worst prisons that you can spend any time in. Um, but he spent three years at Rikers, although he'd never been committed uh, or never been convicted of his crime. I read a lot about this case. Yeah. I haven't um, watched the, the Netflix uh, documentary yeah. yet. Yeah, and it was, it's interesting. <clears throat> I think it originally aired on Spike, but it's produced by Jay-Z, mm-hmm. um, who Jay-Z had actually met Khalif at some point, I think, and was really impacted by this young man's story and and wanted to to kind of get the story out there. So, it's um, yeah, it's definitely there ever was something a case you should about, check out. About our horrible fucking judicial system or the lack thereof. Yeah. It's this one. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, what we got for Netflix and Kill. We don't actually have too much on the top of the show yeah, this week. Yeah, because we went fucking <laughs> a little bit. ham yeah. on the research a little bit. for this. <laughs> yeah, normally this is the part of the show where we would say uh, content is not appropriate for all listeners, but... Kind of Actually, totally week, chill. It <laughs> is. Yeah, no trigger warnings whatsoever. I mean, I don't think so. I talk briefly about a case that if you read it. Oh yeah, I do talk about a case. So maybe just a slight trigger warning, but like, yeah. meh. it's. I don't get gruesome great compared detail. to I don't know cannibalism or maybe like killing your whole family. Right. This is like pretty. This is the, pretty mild. This is holiday appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Just in time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um. So I don't know if you know this, Vicky, but it's my birthday month. Woo! So I was like, let's do When's your birthday? December 2nd. Oh. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> um, so I was like, let's do something fucking amazing that I've been, had on my list. I have been upset, like I obsessively watched the series Mindhunter on Netflix, like, in five seconds. So, I will tell you, I have not finished it. Okay. The good news is it's not a super huge spoiler, because we kind of already know what happens. Yeah, because um, it's, like, real life. Right. But I <laughs> well, made mostly. a point to sit down and watch, like, three or four episodes before we recorded, because I knew you were going to want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. And, oh my god. Let's talk about that. Let's just talk about the show for a minute. Spoiler okay. alert. Um, so good. Can I just say I love their titles? Yes. Like, that's probably... The aesthetic is beautiful. Yeah. They did a really good job of, like, making it yeah. period. Not, like, super yeah. correct, but very... Janelle very and I are both artists, so, like, mm-hmm. we pay attention to things like the typography details. and <laughs> the way that it's filmed. Especially, like, yeah. I... <laughs> I help catalog clothing for a museum and let me tell you, if there's historical inaccuracies, I'm like, they didn't have fucking zippers back then. I'll, like, flip tables over. I'm just like, that's not even period correct fabric. <laughs> like, I go crazy. No, they did no. a really did a good great job. job. It's so good. And the casting on it is amazing. I've heard a lot of stuff, though, that the guy who plays, uh, what's his, they changed his name. It's, like, Holden, whatever the fuck Oh, is. yeah. Holden, uh, Holden Ford. Ford, yeah. Um, I heard... Iffy feedback yeah. on him. I've heard a lot of people being like, he's such a mopey baby, and it's like, I think he did a great job. I thought he did I really great. I think it was, because it was a change of character. Yeah. He had to be a mopey baby in the beginning, because mm-hmm. he was, you know, didn't know what was going on. Yeah, like, he was still pretty, stumbled upon this discovery. like, green under the collar, too. I think he hadn't yeah. been with the FBI for that long. Exactly. Um, I also, <clears throat> the guy that they got to play, Ed Kemper... I, the, I remember reading an article um, not long after the series came out that the directors made a conscious decision to kind of get actors that weren't necessarily as well known to mm-hmm. people, and it really paid off oh, yeah. in their depictions of these real life serial killers. It was like dead on, like a dead on Ed Kemper. I went back and listened to some of the interviews mm-hmm. that he did from jail, and I was like. 
his I know, voice. I saw it. It was like a side by side comparison. It was just like insane. Fucking amazing. Yeah. He did an amazing job. That guy deserves a fucking award. Yeah. It was so beautiful. good. It was so good. His voice. Yeah. He captured his voice so well. I was fucking creeped out when they I know, when and he it just it, he makes you feel in. so uncomfortable. It's like, just like physically uncomfortable. I wanted to be his friend. And then I was like, but he killed all those people. And that's <laughs> that's exactly like oh what God. he portrayed too. Mm-hmm. And that's what people like him. Well, we'll get into it. Yes. But yeah. It was amazing. It's really good. So it got me thinking, like, I really wanted to research because it's a it's a true story. It's about real FBI profilers who started the actual serial killer profiling program. Yep. It's amazing. So I'm going to cover John E. Douglas, who um, Holden Ford is based off of. Mm-hmm. He's also, like, the basis for many, many characters. Yeah. He is such an amazing person. He's written so many books. It's just, if you want to, like, go find his books, do it. I mm-hmm. highly recommend it. He has a criminology series, and then he also has the book Mind Hunter, which is what this series is right. based off of. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of was like, let's get into serial killer profiling and criminology. Like, I've been fascinated by this my entire life. I bought, like, a fucking serial killer encyclopedia when mm-hmm. I was, like, 15 years old. <laughs> so, you know it's legit, okay? Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> criminology, it kind of dates back to, like, all the way to, like, the Greek times, when philosophers would kind of, like, talk about the relationship between crime and punishment, which was, like, a huge thing. Um, it was also very deeply based in religion and, like, what people deserve, um based upon their behavior. Um, but it never really ever touched about what causes a person to do those things. Right. They always talked about the aftermath or, you know, that it was because they were poor. That was the big thing. It was about uh, social status mm-hmm. and not necessarily about the deeper rooted causes of what causes a person not just to kill, but to even just simply steal just yeah. like the basis of a crime act in yeah. general. And it's not even just killing, but it's how it was done. Yeah. How they yeah. kill a person. Um, so criminology was coined in 1885 by an Italian law professor, um, Garofalo, and he called it like criminologia. Obviously. Um, However, it was Douglas and his partner. um, Who I will be talking about. (laughs) Vicky will be discussing. um, Who really coined the term serial killer and the study of serial killer and criminal profiling. Um, They kind of opened the door on how these subjects got to where they were. They focused on environmental factors, psychology, heredity, and just various other aspects of, like, what could cause a person to kill. So it goes way past um, the kind of philosophical, um, enlightened sort of discussion that Greeks were having about, like, crime and punishment into, like, this deep, dark psychology of humanity, really, not just criminals. Right, and psychology was not something that the FBI was like super thrilled no, about. They were not the excited time. about it. They wanted nothing to do with it. It was still in the sixties and seventies. It was still kind of passe. Yeah, it was to very like a, an academic field. Yes. It was just something you went to school for, and yeah. just a class you took. Right. Um, it was kind of still passe to go see a psychologist or to have any sort of counseling. Whereas now it's like. If you don't go see, see someone, a fucking therapist. <laughs> if you don't see a therapist, you're a fucking weirdo. Yeah. Um, yep. So it's it's fascinating. They kind of really open the door for um, the kind of acceptance, right? To to talk to these people and kind of understand the the reasons why. So we're gonna 
dive in and start talking about these two dudes. Yeah. So <laughs> we're going to start with, um, his name is Robert Ressler, who is one half of this duo of Rob and John Douglas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he is originally from Chicago and he seemed to kind of like develop this interest in the act of murder at a really young age when he was nine years old, actually in 1946, the lipstick killer case, which surprisingly enough, I feel like it's not one that I had heard of. And then I looked into it and was like, Oh, this kind of sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, it was where two women and a young girl were abducted and murdered in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. It was called the lipstick case because of the message that the killer had scrawled at one of the crime scenes. And it was like this appeal to the police that like someone needs to stop me or I will keep killing. It kind of reminded me of like the smiley face killer. Right. Yeah. Sort of, like leaving the little... trail behind, even though no one's even touched that one. Right. (laughs) And this idea of, like, a killer who has killed all, you know, these three three women, um, like, putting out this cry for help, almost. Like, he cannot stop himself from mm-hmm. killing. Um, it was really this idea that kind of, like, sparked wrestlers' interest in serial killing, um, or serial killers, and why they did what they did. Um, interestingly enough, later on in his life, uh, Robert Wrestler would go on to interview William Her- I don't know if I typed that right. Herrerans? Maybe that's right. Um, Who who was the lipstick killer? Um, So he would actually go on to interview him later on in life. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And he said when when asked about this, wrestler said that it was weird because kids have sports heroes and that sort of thing. And here I wanted to meet this serial killer. I told him I'd followed his case. He was about nine years older than me, and he was kind of taken aback that he had a fan, in a sense. So, like... Yeah. Is that... I thought... That was just, like... There's so many things in this... That's common now, though, for serial killers to, like, want to have a fan base. But, like, back then, before it was a thing... Right. You know? That... I could understand why that would be shocking. Yeah. Yeah. But there are so many, like, little things in this whole... Um, like invention of this behavioral science unit mm-hmm. um, in both Robert Wrestler's and John Douglas's stories that I'm just like, huh, that's really interesting. It also is just like a parallel for my life. Yeah, so I was just like, I oh my god, I should have been part of the FBI. Right? <laughs> um, so before joining the FBI, Wrestler actually served in the U.S. Army, um, but he joined the, the FBI in 1970 and he was recruited into the behavioral science unit Um And again, like you said, most notably with John Douglas, the two coined the term serial killer Mm -hmm. for people with three or more successive kills. And it kind of comes from two things. It's the repeated nature of the homicides reminded them of the television, the the television serials that he watched when he was a child. Mm -hmm. And it comes from the term crimes in a series that was used by British detectives at the time, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, he was intrigued by crimes that were seemingly tough to understand, and they were often violent, sometimes contained, like, a sexual element to them, mm-hmm. and they also seemed pretty irrational. Um, so his theory was that by understanding how and why these types of criminals worked, law enforcement can use that information to better look for perpetrators. Yeah. Um, so he was able, finally, after a while, um, to convince the FBI that criminal profiling was a legitimate science mm-hmm. um, and something worth being looked into, and began working with John Douglas to conduct research on these serial killers. Um, the two went face-to-face with some of the most prolific serial killers. I mean, if it's like a big name in serial killing, they interviewed them. Yeah. Um, some of them included Ed Kemper, Jerry Brudos, the killer from Oregon, Richard Speck, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, John Wayne Gacy. They interviewed in total 36. Yeah. Um, the study, I think, was originally supposed to include 100. And they ended up only getting to 36. Um, they even interviewed other offenders who were killers, like Gary Trapnell, who had actually hijacked airplanes and committed some armed robberies. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite stories about Robert Ressler is has to do with his meeting with uh, John Wayne Gacy. This is like my all-time favorite story. Um, once on a visit, Gacy had given Ressler a gift of a colorful self-portrait of him of himself as a clown. 
And of Cetus. course, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say a lot of these paintings have really become infamous in like recent years since the kind of murderbilia industry yeah. has taken Ugh. off. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I hate to say that's an industry, but it's really a thing it really where is. people can um, collect like. Not just various. stuff made by killers, but, like, things from crime scenes yeah, and victims. That's yeah. where I start to get... I mean, it's one thing if you want a painting that John Wayne Gacy did, fine. But when you start collecting, like, blood-soaked handkerchiefs from crime scenes, that's where yeah. I'm like, mm, maybe not. Not so cool. <laughs> um, so on the back of this painting, Gacy had actually written an inscription that read, Dear Bob Ressler, you cannot hope to enjoy the harvest without first laboring in the fields. Best wishes and good luck. Sincerely, John Wayne Gacy, June 1988. So, Wrestler went back to Gacy and asked him what he was referring to, and he simply said, Well, Mr. Wrestler, you're the criminal profiler, you're the FBI, you figure it out. Oh my god. <laughs> Which I'm just like, uh, I think it's so, I just, that's so funny to me. <laughs> like, sometimes these serial killers just get a big F you to... Yeah. Um, so he had, Ressler had actually offered his assistance with John Wayne Gacy's case when it first broke in Chicago and wanted to use the opportunity to test some of his psychological profiling theories. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the profilers weren't called in before he was arrested because he was originally only suspected of one murder. Right. And it wasn't until police went and searched his house that they discovered <laughs> the multitude of bodies. Which... That's a whole that he was storing in his house. If you listen to our other episode, I do a whole thing on John Wayne Gacy. Go check that one out. God, what is with people ignoring smells? I know. If something smells, fucking call the cops. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so Russell um, didn't really become involved in the case until after the bodies were being dug out of the crawl space. And in this really strange coincidence, it turns out that Gacy had actually come from the same neighborhood in Chicago as Robert Ressler. Um, and he, Ressler had even said that they were in the same Boy Scout troop. Gross. What? I thought, wow, what a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I thought this, and see, this is what I'm talking about. There's like these little things. I'm just like, that is so crazy. Um, but John Wayne Gacy was really kind of the first organized serial killer that he was able to interview extensively. And Gacy even invited wrestler to his execution, but he respectfully declined. It's like, nah, dog. Yeah. He said, (laughs) nah, nothing. Um, there's another case, the case of John Crutchley, which is another one that I haven't heard, but kind of would like to cover on the podcast at some point. Um, but this case would really kind of serve as a watermark, watermark moment um, as well for the behavioral science unit. Mm-hmm. So the, I'm going to give you a kind of a brief background of the case because, like I said, I hadn't really heard of him until now. Um, but Crutchley is commonly known as the vampire rapist. Have you? Are you familiar with this case at all? Um, I kind of briefly read about it when I was doing some research, but I didn't go too far into it. Um, So the week of Thanksgiving, 1985, I see we should have done, maybe done that for Thanksgiving. Anyway, whatever. um, Hindsight, man. The week of Thanksgiving (laughs) in 1985, a motorist in Florida discovered a 19-year-old woman naked and handcuffed. She was taken to the hospital and immediately given a blood transfusion because 40% of her blood had been drained from her body. Yikes. Um, She told the police that 22 hours before, a man had picked her up while she was hitchhiking and he was like, oh, I need to stop at my house and get something for work. So the two stopped at his house, which of course he didn't have anything he needed to get. Before she knew it, he had put a rope around her neck and was like dragging her back into the house where he assaulted and tortured her and then drained her blood and drank it. And when she asked him why, he told her it was because he was a vampire. Um, so stop, that's... Stop hitchhiking. I know. <laughs> Call your fucking mom and get a ride. Stop hitchhiking. Yeah. Ugh. Well, in this... So, 1985, there still would have been quite a few hitchhikers I don't there. understand I it. I don't understand it. I, I would never you. get... I barely get into people's cars that I know. Yeah. Let alone a stranger. So, it wouldn't be an episode without me talking about BDSM for, like, two hot seconds, because I was, it's funny, I was telling my mom, I was like, I realize this, and I don't do this on purpose, but I cover a really? lot of people who are really into you BDSM. don't do this on purpose? I do not do it on purpose. <laughs> it just happens like that. 
Um, so police go and search his house, and they found a ton of BDSM props, of course. Um, hair clippings, dozens of women's identification cards, necklaces, and equipment used to drain blood. And they, the police began looking into over 30 deaths that could have possibly been committed by Crutchley, but they only ever had circumstantial evidence, and they weren't able to charge him with anything other than kidnapping, rape, and theft of blood, which apparently is a crime. Did not know that, but it was, like, included in the charges. <laughs> so don't just steal not, my blood! It's not theft, but specifically, <laughs> specifically said theft of blood. Theft of blood, yeah. Okay. Um, so although they weren't going to so charge him... So that solidifies him, that vampires are real. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they weren't going to charge him with the murders, but the DA still requested that Robert Ressler come down to interview him. And because of that, Ressler was actually able to testify during Crushley's sentencing hearing um, that he had all the earmarks of being a serial killer. Right. And because of this, Crutchley was given the maximum sentence of 25 years in prison and 50 years of parole. Just the fact that Ressler was able to testify to something like that in court and say because of his psychological makeup, he has all the earmarks of a serial mm. killer and state it as fact, um, like, just shows you how far the BSU had come since its inception, like, criminal profiling had come since they started gathering all of this data. Right. Um, initially, the FBI, like we said, was really resistant to using anything close to, like, psychological or criminal profiling because they really didn't consider it hard evidence. But 13 years later, Ressler was able to go into a court of law and testify about a person's personality at trial and have it impact the outcome. So yeah. that's just personally... That's weird that they didn't want to try him for the murders. Like, they didn't have any evidence to, to charge him with. Like, <sighs> liter other than finding the stuff in his house, it's like that... I, I don't want to say that doesn't mean anything, but it's like... It's circumstantial yeah. at best, yeah. Yeah, so, um, unfortunately, just to follow, uh, follow up on that case, Crutchley was released after only 11 years due to some weird law in Florida. But on Fucking the, Florida. On the plus side. You know side, how I feel about Florida. Yes, here. yeah. If you don't, check our Facebook on Fridays. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but on the same day that he was paroled, he was arrested for having marijuana in his system and violating parole. So he had to go back to prison and serve out the remainder of his sentence. And he was actually found dead in a cell in 2002. So oh. we don't have to worry about him, which is cool. Because <laughs> I was worried. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Ressler also worked on the Jeffrey Dahmer case after he, after he was arrested in July 1991. And it was by the request of Dahmer's defense attorney that Ressler had actually interviewed him. Mm -hmm. And this is probably one of the more famous interviews, I think, um, when you talk about these interviews happening. Because there is audio. I thought about grabbing an audio clip, but unfortunately the audio is not super great. Not and unless yeah. you're watching it with subtitles... You're not going to understand what the fuck's going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so many people had a really difficult time understanding how... Jeffrey Dahmer's actions weren't a sign of insanity. Mm -hmm. um, the idea that somebody who acted like an organized serial killer that simply lost control um, when the murders were committed was something that really, like, fascinated Wrestler. And these, because those are, like, elements of a disorganized serial killer, right. which is two different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll go into that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So to this point, all serial killers that they had kind of come across were either organized or disorganized, but not both. And compared to people like um, John Wayne Gacy and Ted Bundy, um, Dahmer was actually extremely open and honest and really let Ressler get into his head. Mm -hmm. um, Gacy and Bundy, on the other hand, had really kind of been guarded. Games yeah. Kind of thing, yeah. And it was a lot of like being evasive, kind of telling them what they wanted to hear mm -hmm. kind of thing. That I, I feel like that's the hard part about all this research is like, what, at what point is it truth? And at what point is it just a fabrication? Right. And I did see too, when I was doing research that, um, John Douglas and Robert Ressler did a 
really good job of like extensively researching these people that they were going to interview because to somebody um, like that, like a serial killer, it was almost like a sign of respect that, that you like knew that much. And it was a lot easier to kind of get them to be honest versus, you know, kind of being coy. Mm -hmm. Um, According to wrestler Dahmer wasn't of sound mind at the time of the crimes He was emotionally driven to commit his crimes, and once he was able to get individuals into his apartment, he wasn't able to stop himself from achieving his aim and keeping this person with him. Um, Dahmer also said that he felt like he was watching himself during the crimes, which kind of indicated dissociation, and a lot of times that was due to, like, a personality disorder. Right. Um, Russler didn't testify at Dahmer's trial, but the interviews that he conducted with him was kind of able to give him a new perspective that it is possible to have somebody who is both an organized and disorganized serial killer. Mm-hmm. Although it's not as common, I think. Right. Um, in 1985, wrestler was key in the development of the violent criminal apprehension program. Um, also known as VICAP, mm-hmm. which I feel like is one of those words that I hear in like, you ever watch Criminal Minds? Yeah. That's like the same thing, you know, they talk about unsub and BSU and VICAP and all yep. this other, you know, it's one of those. So, um, but that was also developed and based uh, at Quantico. And the system allowed them to collect and collate all this information on violent crimes across the country and allow them to find connections between criminals and crimes. Um information on unsolved homicides was gathered from like local police forces and then cross-referenced with other unsolved killings across the U.S. And the system kind of works on this idea that most serial killers claim similar victims and have similar MOs. Mm -hmm. So before where you had each local police station kind of working on their own. And I think we kind of talked about this when we talked about highway serial killers, where it's really hard if you have somebody who's traveling to... To have a jurisdiction and yeah. to, to work together. Yeah, and yeah. to know to know that you have similar crimes in other states or whatever. Yeah. Um, Ressler retired from the FBI in 1990, and he was with the organization for 20 years. Um, he would, however, continue to provide education in the field of criminology, psychology, and psychological profiling well into his retirement. Um, and I think both of them, both John Douglas and Ressler did this, like, well into their retirement. They were still giving classes and consulting on cases. Um, he also wrote a number of books, um, on that subject. Like, he's got one titled, Whoever Fights Monsters, My 20 Years Tracking Serial Killers for the FBI. Pretty self-explanatory. Yep. (laughs) Um, and then he did also pair with John Douglas to write the Crime Classification Manual, a standard system for investigating and classifying violent crimes, along with a couple of other people. Mm -hmm. These aren't the only two, obviously, that got this whole program going, but these are kind of the two main ones. Mm -hmm. Um... Sadly, wrestler passed away actually in May 2013 from Parkinson's disease. Mm. Um, he was 76, but definitely like the impact that he had on this psychological profiling was not lost on people. Oh, I no. mean, he was definitely one of the pioneers in this field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <sighs> so that's a little. Yeah, there you go. Brief yeah. history. A very, very yeah. brief history. So. I'm going to talk about, obviously, John Douglas. Hello, my hero. Hello. Hello, my hero. Um, He's actually the basis for many characters in Tom Harris novels, like Sounds of the Lambs, Um, the Hannibal TV series. He's actually um, one of the detectives in Criminal Minds is based Mm -hmm. off of him as well. Yeah. Um, So Douglas joined the FBI in 1970, Um, His first assignment was in Detroit, Michigan. Um, In the field, he served as a sniper on local FBI SWAT teams, but he later became, like, a hostage negotiator, which you, if you watch Mindhunter, they very, they do a very good job of kind of giving a very brief history background of John Douglas, and it's very true um, to light. Um, He transferred to the Behavioral Science Unit in 1977, and while he was there, he started out teaching hostage negotiation and applied criminal psychology. So, um, 
that obviously was at Quantico. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is pretty much, this is the, the TV yeah. show. Yeah. Like, this is the beginning of the TV <laughs> show. Um, he taught everyone. Agents, like, legit police officers from local law enforcement, uh, special agents that did special ops stuff, he taught them, too. Um, he created and managed a criminal profiling program um, that was kind of like the start of the NCAVC. Um, it was like the precursor that kind of began it yeah. all. Um, then he was later uh, promoted to the unit chief of the investigative support unit. And then comes the National Center for the Analysis of Violent Crimes. So that is a specialized department that the FBI created. Um, and this kind of coordinated investigations and support, like, gave support to uh, police officers. And it kind of did a lot of criminological re research and training, and it was not just federal, but state and local level. So it was, like, all-encompassing and kind of was, like, the basis of how they got started doing serial killer research. Right. Um, so... While traveling around the country doing all of these instructions for, like, police, he kind of got this idea to start interviewing these violent offenders. Um, in particular, he he very much focused on violent sex offenders. Yeah. That was kind of his area of expertise, so to speak. Um, like Vicky said, he interviewed so many... Holy shit, So yeah. many well-known serial killers. But he also did interview a few women... Really? Um, he interviewed Lynette Fromm and Sarah Jane Moore. Lynette Fromm is Squeaky Fromm. Okay. Uh, of the Manson family. Yeah. So he did in incorporate a couple women into his research, which, um, still at this time, women weren't really considered, like, murderers for fun. Like, it was yeah. always, like, yeah. very much involving, like, being scorned as a lover. Yeah, or being, or like, coerced into coerced, it. Coerced, yeah. or a Black Widow situation. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he involved uh, a couple women murderers, killers, um, in the sort of kind of research is pretty cool because it, it, it really gives you a good basis of yeah. understanding. It's not very heavily male-driven. Just thinking back on it, I feel like it would have been really interesting to see what these guys would have had to say about Eileen Wuornos. <sighs> yeah, that would have been Because she is, she is definitely one that was real out there. Oh, yeah. As far as the stuff she was saying and thinking and believing. So, anyway. Yeah. Just a, a little aside. <laughs> um, so... As we mentioned, he wrote the crime classification manual with Ressler, um, but he also wrote uh, one of his own books that's very well known and used greatly. It's called Sexual Homicide, Patterns and Motives. So this, again, was his like area of expertise. This is what he really um, did a lot of extensive research on, um, and it actually <laughs> won him an award. He received two Thomas Jefferson Awards for Academic Excellence. So nice. the study really, you know, pushed him forward and he, he did a lot of actual like, um, assisting in books for universities. He, mm -hmm. he did a lot of research for, um, some books for the university of Virginia in particular. Yeah. Um, which again, like you said, is interesting because psychology and that kind of thing still by the FBI was really viewed as like an academic thing mm -hmm. and that they allowed him scholarly. <laughs> yeah, that they allowed him to go and do these kind of academic things is really incredible. Yeah. So I'm going to read a little bit from an interview that he gave. Um, it kind of gives a good summary why he started looking into this stuff. Um, so Douglas said he realized he needed to accelerate his learning and experience. He decided the best way to do that was to go directly to the source of violent crimes, the people who committed them. So when he was sent to cities around the country to teach criminal psychology classes, he and another instructor, wrestler, um, used their free time to interview criminals in areas prisons. I conducted the research not from a rehabilitation perspective, but from an investigative perspective. It was considered innovative, but to me it was basic. If you want to learn about violent crimes, talk to the experts. The criminals, the perpetrators, the rapists, the arsonists, the serial homicide committers. 
Once I got into this stuff, I started teaching the students. If someone was in the class who worked with investigation, I could be able to say, I interviewed him and this is what I learned. It became a very popular class. It didn't take long to see roots and patterns of behavior emerging from my research. Most of the people we interviewed came from some type of dysfunctional family, such as a passive or absent father, a domineering mother, physical and or psychological abuse. However, not all people who experienced those traumas went on to become violent criminals. Um, Douglas said his research indicated a direct correlation between animal cruelty and human violence. Not just curious, doing it once sort of thing, but where they find sadistic pleasure from torturing. Cruelty to animals is one of the three factors he identified in what he termed the homicidal triangle. Interesting. So, which I think, <laughs> I, honestly, that is still used today. Oh yeah, that is something that um, oh, like you can point to in so many cases. It's like mm-hmm. he's got X, Y, and Z. You know, yeah. I find it interesting though in that whole thing. I had to I chuckled a little bit because he's absolutely right. But it's oh, like if you life. if you want to learn, you have to go to the experts yeah. and who is better than killing people than serial killers? <laughs> people like it kill sounds, people. Yeah, it sounds so ridiculous, but it's like at the same time, it's so obvious. So basic. Yeah, so it's very basic. so obvious. Like, why did people? Ha- I I get why people. <laughs> there was still like an ounce of morality left in humanity in the 80s. So mm-hmm. like they were still very like, why are you putting it was almost like, why are you putting these people on a pedestal kind of a thing when like, that's not really what it they were was under at a all. Microscope. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I just thought that was ugh, interesting. It's just ugh. okay. So if you don't know what the homicidal triangle is, it is um, animal cruelty, bedwetting as a child beyond a normal age. So like, usually after seven and yeah. above. Um, and setting fires. That's like the triangle. Um, of the three, animal cruelty is the one that really stands out, and it is a really a good predictor. Mm-hmm. Um, so this really helped him. And the other thing that he really did was dive deep into crime scenes to really look at... He looked at the pictures. He went back and forth between interviewing them and doing the research over what the police had, you know, gathered. Yeah. Um, and that really helped set a basis of understanding what types of questions to ask them to kind of get a yeah. better understanding of what was happening. So he took all this research and he turned it into um, kind of like a step-by-step phases of profiling. So I'm going to kind of read the uh, couple steps of profiling that they took to understand, you know, what kind of a serial killer this is. So, let me read aloud from my list. (laughs) This is her reading. (laughs) Um, Number one, an assimilation phase where all information available in regard to the crime scene, victim, and witness is examined. This may include photographs of the crime scene, autopsy reports, Victim profiles, police reports, and witness statements. So, kind of like a general... Just a little study... Overview. Of, of what was, you know, what they took. Okay. Um, classification stage, number two, which involves integrating the information collected into a framework which essentially classifies the murderer as organized or disorganized. Organized murderers are thought to have advanced social skills, plan their crimes display control over their victims using social skills, leave little forensic evidence or clues, and often engage in sexual acts with the victim before the murder. They underline that as an important point. Hmm. Um, In contrast, the disorganized offender is described as impulsive, with few social skills, such that his or her murders are opportunistic, and the crime scene suggests frenzied, haphazard behavior, a lack of planning or attempt to avoid detection... And they might engage in sexual acts after the murder because they lack knowledge of normal sexual behavior. So they kind of don't understand, like, don't have sex with a corpse. (laughs) Oh my god. That's what I get out of that. So going back to what I was discussing with Jeffrey Dahmer, he very much was, like, friendly and kind of... I think kind of personable a little bit. He had some antisocial <clears throat> skills, but like yeah. he also would plan his crimes to a point, and then at one point he would be like, wouldn't be able to control himself and become frenzied, and that's the moment where it becomes mm-hmm. kind of this disorganized yes. serial killer. Um, I I feel like he leans more towards the disorganized, yeah, just because uh. The the idea is one thing to think about it consistently enough to be like yeah I can do this yeah 
Um, but it is still a crime of opportunity because he kind of just falls into these victims' laps. Right. Um, and he kind of has an idea of what yeah. he wants to do, but he can't connect his desire to an action. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so, number three. Following the classification stage, profilers attempt to reconstruct the behavioral sequence of the crime, in particular, attempting to re reconstruct the offender's modus operandi, or otherwise known as method, of, com yeah, method of committing crime, M.O. <laughs> um, number four. Profilers also examine closely the offender's signature. This is where the term signature comes from. Um, they kind of coined the the terminology signature. Um, it is identifiable from the crime scene and is more idiosyncratic than the modus operandi. So the signature is what the offender does to satisfy his psychological needs in committing the crime. And I kind of love, again, spoiler alert, because <clears throat> obviously we are talking about this because Mindhunter came out, right? Yes, Mindhunter. So there is this <laughs> point in the show where they're talking to Ed Kemper, and I loved this, where he's kind of describing the acts that he did and mm -hmm. how that was kind of his signature versus his, where he's like, signature, if you will. And I thought, oh my god, that's so great. <laughs> like, it was just this really interesting moment, and um, like, being able to differentiate between, like, the M.O. and the signature. Because they are to two totally different things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you kind of think about when they go to um, speak to Jerry Brudos, the, the shoe fetish killer, and they try to discuss his signature, like, of the taking pictures of mm -hmm. women's feet and stuff. And you can kind of see how he he can't comprehend what they're asking, really. Like, he doesn't think of it. Like that. Like that. Yeah. It's just like, it's just something that he does. Yeah. And... It's like a compulsion almost yeah. versus uh, he, like he, a conscious also, decision. He's almost not even aware that he does it. Yeah. That's the weird part. It's it's kind of fascinating. But when they start talking to Brutus, though, ugh. I am not that far. Okay. Like I said, I made a point to watch some of it so I could talk about it. <laughs> it's, it's a rough one. That's where oh, I believe you, it. That's where you kind of see the the, yeah. the switch flipped from. Them I will say the whole show is kind of having is, fun with Kemper. Yeah. To like, well, and to be like, I feel like the whole show is like that, where it is very raw. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not. They're not holding back any details. But the thing about it is, is it's less about catching the bad guy versus the process from which they learned about how to get there. Exactly. And so I don't think it was something that was, like, um, like overused, like, being kind of more obscene with, like, crime scene photos and stuff. I don't think they overused yeah. that. They didn't go for the gory no. stuff. No. But you can definitely see when they start kind of using the psychology against the perpetrator right. to get definitive answers. Mm -hmm. And that's what... I see happening when they start talking to Brutos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the last little part of this list is number five. From further consideration of the modus operandi, the offender's signature at the crime scene, and also an inspection for the presence of any staging of the crime, the profiler moves on to generate a profile. So the profile may contain detailed information regarding the offender's demographic characteristics, family characteristics, Military background, which I guess is a pretty considerate thing. A lot mm -hmm. of them have some sort well, of I military think background. If you think of like somebody coming from a more regimented family, like having the military mm -hmm. background, you generally have parents who are a little bit Stricter. tougher yeah. on their kids Stricter, and might but be absent. Stricter, but absent, <laughs> and honestly, might be more on like the humiliation end of things mm -hmm. too. So yeah, that kind of makes yeah. sense. Um, they also look at education, personality characteristics, and may also suggest to the investigator the appropriate interview interrogation techniques to adopt. That's pretty um, interesting. Yeah. So they also kind of use uh, a typology classification. So it's like a general, a general classification listing. So if you think of like archaeology, psychology, sociology, it's a hierarchy or classification of personality traits. That's okay. what typology is. So they use that as well. So they have this like list of, of how to, you know, profile and then they use that profile and they put it into typology to kind of discuss <clears throat> what kind of serial killer they are. So it's like a two-fold program. So one of the most famous cases 
that Douglas kind of assisted on was the Atlanta child murders. Okay. So the Atlanta child murders, if you're not familiar, which I don't know, I mean, it's a pretty common case. Yeah. Um, they were a series of murders committed in Atlanta, Georgia, from the middle of 1979 until uh, May of 1981. Wow. It's a long time. Yeah. Um, over this period, at least 28 African-American children, adolescents, and adults were killed. That's crazy. Well, and <coughs> the fact that it was all these age ranges, that's like, wow, that's weird. It's, this is where Douglas is like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, those killed were in an age range between 9 and 27 years old. Okay. That's a big range. That is a big range. Um, there was a lot of controversy regarding which victims were truly killed by the murderer. Yeah. Um, and they were found within streets of each other, not unlike the torso killer in Cleveland. Uh-huh. So the victims were uh, also killed using an array of methods. Weird. Strangulation, gunshot, and stabbing. So there wasn't, like, one central MO. Exactly. So this is why they were having such a difficult time catching somebody. And it was all in within... The only thing they really had was it was in one area, and it was African Americans. Mm -hmm. It was mostly men, a few women, a huge range of ages. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure it took them a little bit to totally even connect different. exactly. That was another thing, because of it was a poor area. Yeah. And oh, in the 70s and 80s, no yeah. one, I mean, it was st still a racially tension kind of time in the South still. Yeah, we should say more more than it is now. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, hasn't it was changed still, much, but, yeah, yeah, still not good. Um, so as the media coverage of these killings sort of intensified, the FBI was brought in, and they were, particularly Douglas, they were saying, like, him and his group of people got together. They were like, because this media attention is getting so intense, mm -hmm. we're gonna we're gonna bet that he's gonna dump his next body in a in a body of water to conceal the evidence. Okay, and sure as fucking shit. Wow, that's crazy. Police started to stake out a nearly a dozen bridges. Okay, that crossed over the Chattahoochee River. During the stakeout on May 22nd of 1981, detectives got their first major break in this case when an officer heard a splash beneath a bridge. Okay. God, oh, it's giving me chills just thinking oh about it. Oh my gosh. The owner of the car was none other than Wayne Williams, who was convicted of these crimes. Okay. Um, circle, circumstantial evidence led the police to consider Williams as the prime suspect. First of all, he was the only person stopped during the month-long stakeout of the 12 bridges. The only person. Okay. Like, stopped on, like... like on the bridge. Okay. <clears throat> um, <laughs> during the stop, he was stopped on the bridge the exact same time there was a splash in the water. Oh, my God. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, second, police noted that Williams's appearance resembled a composite sketch of the suspect... Okay. Um, and indeed, investigators who stopped Williams on the bridge noticed 24-inch nylon cord in his trunk. This cord seemed to match the choke marks on the last victim um, and a couple of the other victims that were first uh, found. Furthermore, <laughs> Williams admitted to spending much of his time seeking out and auditioning African-American boys for bands. Okay. So he would go around on the street, and he would be like, hey, say something for me. And he would record them on a tape recorder and say, he'd come back and he'd say, you know what? Someone heard this tape, and they want to audition you. Yeah. And I'm going to take you there, and I'm going to get you oh this audition. God, so that's how he was getting people. creep. What a creep. And Ugh. when you're young, and you're poor, and you're yeah. like, oh, you know, okay. that sounds exciting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my uh, God. Get pulled off the street to do an audition for a band? Of course. Yeah, I'll do it. That's, like, literally everybody's dream is to be discovered, like, walking down the street. Somebody discovers you, and it's like, oh, I'm going to go and be rich and famous. Exactly. So Ugh. we're just playing into these people's Jesus. egos. <clears throat> um, so the, the age creep. ranges of people that he was auditioning were the exact age ranges of the people that were murdered. Uh. Um, notably, Williams failed an FBI-administered polygraph examination, which, I mean, that doesn't mean too much, but... It's an investigation? It was a big... Tool. Yeah, it was a big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, additionally, they also found fibers from Williams' homes um, 
and his car and his dog's hair on other victims. Oh my gosh. So he was obviously tried and convicted to life in prison. Good. Um, Now, when Wayne Williams was arrested, Douglas was reported to saying in a bunch of newspapers, he looks pretty good for a good percentage of the killings. Wait, what? Say that I'm sorry, say that again? So Douglas said when Wayne Williams was arrested for this crime, he was quoted in the paper as saying, he looks pretty good for a good percentage of the killing. So, like, he, it was probably him for most of them, mm-hmm. but not all this of them was, belonged to This him. was controversial, because okay. Douglas said that there was more than one murderer. Yeah. He said not only did Wade Williams have a person helping him, yeah. But there was also several copycats. That's what I was thinking, too. And that happens really often when you have, like, um, this <clears throat> killing spree happening and they don't catch somebody... All of a sudden, you have all these copycats who are thinking, oh, now's my time to get away with it, because they'll just pin it on whoever they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So he stated that um, Wayne Williams had an associate that was working with him, and there was at least two copycats also. Wow. So. Interesting. That's why there was various methods and various age ranges. Okay. Um, His statement prompted the FBI director to send him a letter of censure. To wow. shut the fuck up about it. <laughs> um, however, he did attend the legal proceedings for Wayne Williams, and he um, helped the prosecution trap Williams um, by having him show an intense, like, show of anger. Yeah. Um, it was key um, for the jury to prosecute Williams for the murders. Interesting. He was prosecuted for all of them. Really? Even though Douglas firmly believed that he had an associate and he was not the only one killing at the time. Um... Well, and that he, was in, he was like he stated during this trial he did not believe that he committed all of them. So that was in the eighties, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I'm wondering too if because this criminal profiling was still kind of in its infancy a little bit, if mm-hmm. the FBI didn't really hold that much stock in like to be able to say it was multiple killers or whatever. You know what I mean? I mean, if you follow his methodology um, of profiling someone. The M.O.s were changing so greatly that yeah. there would be no way that it could possibly be one single person. No way, yeah. Um, I mean, it's true that a person, you know, a serial killer generally changes their M.O. slightly to kind of it's adapt whatever and involve. Better, yeah. But the fact that it was switching back and forth so, cons- like, inconsistent, like, it was just yeah. crazy. There's no way that he believes that it was just one person. I mean, I feel like if two people like us can be like, come on, that's really weird, that's not normal, like, they should be able to figure out that it's yeah. not There was just, just such person. a cry yeah. after, after like, the tenth person <sighs> oh, was I'm killed sure. and found. They were under a lot of pressure. They were under a significant amount of pressure, and the fact that the he came out and was like you're gonna he's gonna dump a body in the water next watch that and he which fucking is crazy did. that's fucking cool i mean but that's crazy trust the man's opinion yeah, he right. knows what he's fucking talking about yeah i mean he only invented uh, the field right he only like fucking made this up <laughs> um he he added that uh he believes that law enforcement or the authorities do have an idea of of the other killers and he said <laughs> Cryptically, this is his last statement in the last article. Um, it isn't a single offender, and the truth isn't pleasant. Damn. Yeah. He's Damn. like, the cops Dude, know. John Douglas is such a baller. He's just fucking, like, oh, oh my god, I just want to pull. Awesome. I just want to pull the pictures on the backs of his books where he's just like leaning over with his white hair, he's just such like a badass. I fucking got this. I love these guys. Yeah. So he definitely he believed that the cops knew that there were other people operating. They knew that Wayne Williams had someone yeah. else that was helping him, and they didn't want to pursue it past it because it was kind of done and over with. We got our guy. It's good enough. He confessed to killing a couple people, pinned him for the whole thing. Yeah. So we don't need to search anymore. But then you also have to think, like, just recently, there was a, a huge string of children being mm-hmm. abducted and right. killed in this same fucking city. Is it crazy to think that someone could... Do it in the 80s and then 30 years later do it again? No. No. 
I don't think so. There are also large portions of time that serial killers will take breaks, um, and then their shit intensifies. Right. So, yeah. to me, I don't think it's that crazy. Yeah. Yeah. John wow. Douglas is a fucking baller. Check out yes. his books. Check out the book Mindhunter specifically. Yeah. And it's amazing. Check out the show. The show is great. It's so I good. And I'm just going to throw out there, it <clears throat> has been renewed for season two already. Oh, yeah. I can't which wait. Which I'm just like, yes! They kept, they kept teasing Dennis Rader in it, too. And I'm like, stop. I want to know. I want to know. It. Ugh. Because yes. they, they didn't say anything about it being Dennis Rader. They just showed this guy with a mustache. And I'm like... Is that, is that supposed to be? Yeah. Oh my god. See, that's the thing is I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, so who they never to say his out. name. They yeah. never say his name. No. They just show pictures of him. That makes so they much show sense. him in the ADT van and I'm yeah. like, oh god, it's I'm like, Dennis Rader. In my head, I'm like, I should I'm fucking like, who know is who this, this is. Who is yeah. I saw a mustache and I'm like, Maybe. yeah. Bo was like, that's that's BTK. And I'm like, shut up, you know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> I'll get out of here. Expert. I'm the fucking expert. And then they put Kansas. And I'm like, fuck ah, BTK! You're right! Dang it. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait. It's a uh, great show. It's good. Check it out. When you get to the last episode, you're gonna oh be God. like, no! Stop! Don't ruin it. Go home and watch it, Vicky. Stop being behind the times. Oh, I'm sorry. It's only like Stranger Things 2 came out at the same time. I watch that also. And I I watched the whole thing in a day, Vicky. I'm sorry. I cannot devote one whole day to binge watching a show. Oh, right. Okay, because it's not a video game. Yup. Okay. It's not not Destiny 2. It's not fucking Destiny. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, that was was our episode, guys. (laughs) All right, so this week I've got two suggestions for Ooh, you. Hit me. What the first one is? I just can't believe that we haven't talked about it yet. To be honest, um, that's the podcast name. I can't believe we talked no, about no, it no, yet. No, no. That's a I, good podcast. Well, name, and though. I say we haven't talked about it, but to be fair, I haven't really brought it up. Okay. So um, the first one is Heaven's Gate, of course. I mean, yes, it's you know we love cults around here. Heart, yes. The guy who does that. He has some other good, yeah. really good podcasts. Check so, them out. in 1997, 39 people <clears throat> took their own lives in an apparent mass suicide. The events captivated the media and had people across the planet asking the same question. Why? 20 years later, those who lost loved my ones... My Nikes was my question. <laughs> 20 years later, those who lost loved ones and those who still believe tell their story. It's hosted by Glenn Washington of Snap Judgment and Spooked. Spooked. Oh, Spooked. Was the other one? Yeah. Love it. They are... At the time that we're recording this, I think there are like three or four episodes in um, to the season yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. It is so good. And honestly, you know I'm a sucker for like actual recorded audio and there is a shitload of that included Mm -hmm. and I love every second of it I do like police interviews or like audio recordings of them doing whatever I am a sucker for that so like god it's just so creepy listening to it yeah it's very check it out yeah Mm -hmm. um the other suggestion I have is super off topic not crime related Mm -hmm. at all but I just really I just really love this podcast so I don't know if you know this about me or not Janelle you might be learning something new about me oh um, but I Am have... going to be scared? No, nah, maybe. Okay. I have a bit of an obsession with North Korea. Like, I think it's okay. very interesting. And not necessarily, like, the political stuff, but it's like... These people living in a country that's completely cut off by the world. Um, when you watch the documentaries, like they have a lot of really beautiful, like something out of landscapes. Black and Mirror. I honestly would love to go to North Korea mm-hmm. and like if the political climate was a little better and I wasn't sure that I was like going to get killed if I went over there, I mm-hmm. would go. I think yeah. it would be great. Um, I actually had a friend um, teach English in South Korea, and she got to go over the border yeah. for a little visit. Yeah. And she said it was the weirdest, most horrifying thing she's ever done. So really, yes, it's really scary. It would be really scary. Yeah. The thing is, is like when you think it's about like it, play. it's, it's almost like a cult <clears throat> on the scale of an entire country. Like, I think that's I think that's the reason why I find it so interesting. Um, so <coughs> I happen to find this really great podcast with that's hosted by these two guys who feel the same way. They're like, we don't think it's weird that we want to go to North Korea. It's a really interesting place. Mm-hmm. Um, the name of the podcast is called Super Awesome North Korea. Well, and 
Uh, I'm just going to read you to this, the description because I can, cannot beat what they have to say. Um, so, the best DPRK North Korea Hermit Kingdom can of super awesome podcast in the world. Join our three heroes as they add what this whole topic has been missing for years. Some humor flavored with actual research about your next vacation to the land of the Kims. That is, unless Trump and Un decide to wreck all the fun with a few nuclear button pushes. Oh my and God. it really, it really is like the first couple of episodes are just these two guys who sit down and they're just like, yeah, we want to go to North Korea. And they kind of talk about it. They had this discussion about like, who would be more fun to hang out with Putin or Kim Jong Un. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, it's just, it's really funny. It's a lot of humor. If you like North Korea, like I do, (laughs) check it out. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. It is. It is really good. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, what else? Is that it? Um, you know, just the huge. Check out Patreon. Oh, yeah. We're having some, you know, good bad taste bites. <clears throat> I am... Janelle is having some good ones. I'm trying to do a 25 days of murder for Christmas. Oh, wow. That's all so, you girl. I know. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. So far, it's gonna be good. Um, <laughs> fucking forget one day. Yeah, that's all her. Um, that's... <laughs> So it's going to be some cute little 25 days of murder for Christmas. Um, If you guys haven't started, you know, donating for Patreon, go ahead and do it. It's exciting. I mean, there's so much extra content we put on there for people. It's true. Um, Even if you just donate a dollar a month, you get way more extra stuff. You Mm -hmm. get coupon... Coupons? Coupon... Coupon codes. Say that fucking when you're sick. Coupon, coupon codes. codes. Coupons. Um, coupons, yeah. As we like yes. to call it in Illinois. And if you aren't comfortable making a recurring donation, we also have a pay to PayPal for one-time donations at yes. thebadtastecrimecast at gmail.com. You do get a little something-something for donating. Something-something. Just a little something-something. Yeah. Try to get some buttons and stickers out for you guys. Because um, yeah. out of the kindness of my heart, I like to give. So... Vicky's over here like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> About what? Um, giving. Oh. I give Tis the season. I give Tis the reason for the season. Tis the season. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. So yeah. Yeah. Check it out. Send us your listener stories. We're still looking for listener stories, you guys. Fucking send it to our Gmail, Twitter, Facebook. I don't care how you send it. Give it to me. All right. Merch store too. Check out the merch Oh, store. yes. If you guys <laughs> still have <clears throat> Christmas shopping. Yeah. To do. Um, check out. <laughs> I'm trying to remember when this episode comes out. Literally in a day. Yes. If you, um, yeah. No, well, it's more than that. What? No, yeah, it's, it's the beginning that. of December. It's I don't know where I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you guys have Christmas shopping to do, check out our merch store. We've got some for everyone. Yes. Everyone on your list. Even if your mother doesn't listen to us, get her a t-shirt. <laughs> I should get my mom a t-shirt. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. Um, our sound and editing is done by Tiff Weech. Our music is Jen... <laughs> I did this last time, too. Our music is done by Jason Zane. We need to stop the drinking. <laughs> uh, no more mimosas. Nah. <laughs> that happens every time we have mimosas. <laughs> uh, that's all we got for you today. Yeah. Well, Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Happy holidays. We'll talk to you again before other holidays. I mean, it'll be right before. Also, <laughs> happy pre-holiday Christmas shopping yeah. season. Get lit, guys. Oh! 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 Christmas humor. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm done. And goodbye. Bye. It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town.